versus Marvel. It's Bill versus versus Marvel. There was an idea to bring together a set of remarkable podcasters to see if they could become something more, to see if they could work together when we needed them, to rewatch the films we never could. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Bill vs. the MCU. I am not Bill. Say hi, Bill. Well, hello there. It's great to be back. I am so excited to be back. I am, of course, your host, Pop Break Podcast Editor Alex Marcus. And today, we are kicking off our journey into the MCU-adjacent world of Netflix's Defenders. For the next six months, we will be sampling select seasons of the Defendersverse, one season per month, as we brace ourselves for many of its characters to be introduced into the MCU in upcoming series like Echo and Daredevil Born Again. This month, we will be starting where it all began, season one of Daredevil, which originally debuted all the way back in the spring of 2015. So, to help all of our lovely listeners better understand the enduring legacy of this series and what to expect from the Defenders verse as a whole, we asked our friend Rhiannon of Marvel News Desk and Save Daredevil to stop by, after which you'll hear from Bill and I about our thoughts on this historic first season. However... Before we get into all that, it's time to debut our all-new segment, Miss Minutes Multi-Minute Memo, where we throw five minutes up on the clock and attempt to break down the entire month of Marvel news before the buzzer. Bill, are you ready to go? Only if you ask every question in a, a, a feminine, genteel, southern bell voice. Well, Tara Strong is, uh, is, is a genuine treasure, and I would be... Uh, truly embarrassing myself if I tried to replicate her enduring performance as Miss Minutes. So check I will out, not oblige on that out, one. Check uh, out our interview with Tara Strong on thepopbreak.com. Let's go. Okay, ready? ready? Five minutes on the clock, starting now. Okay, first story is Jeremy Renner, severely injured by a snowplow over Christmas break. Uh, thoughts and prayers, obviously. Bill, do you have any thoughts? Oh, man, I just yeah, I just hope he's all right because, I mean, that's that was – he almost died. For sure. Truly, truly seems like he almost died. And trying to help out somebody, a neighbor, it was wild. Anyway, on to better, more, uh, less serious things. Uh, Guardians Volume 3 trailer. The first trailer was debuted. And along with that was the news that Dave Bautista confirmed that he's done after uh, Volume 3. So, Bill, thoughts on the trailer? Thoughts on Dave Bautista leaving? Uh, trailer has got me ready. Uh, it's going to break my heart. Uh, it's going to make me Absolutely. cry. And it's going to make me laugh. And... Uh, so much with Rocket is going to make us both cry I, so much. I like welled up while watching the trailer and I was like, oh no, you motherfuckers are not going to do this to me. They're going to kill Rocket. <laughs> they're they're going to do it. They're, they're going to do, do it, it and I'm going to be so mad. Um, I'm excited as someone who's been a wrestling fan for a long time. I've saw Dave Bautista from his beginnings as a wrestler and his beginning now as an actor. I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. Uh, he's great as Drax. I love him as Drax. But he's got the new M. Night movie coming out, which he looks really good in. And I'm looking forward to see him outside of Marvel to see what he can do. Because I think he broke away from just that he was Drax and now he's just going to make made-for-DVD action movies or made-for-streaming, I guess, now. But yeah, no, I he wants... See- he wants to be a serious, dramatic actor, yeah. and I think he has the chops based on what he, we've seen. So 100%. I'm ready for him Blade to put Runner. his shirt on and get broaden his horizons. Blade Runner proved that he could be a, a dramatic actor and, and do well with it. 
Absolutely. Uh, I wish he wears tiny little glasses in all of his future films. Anyway, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, trailer number two, released. And along with it, we saw our first glimpse of Corey Stoll as MODOK. Looks nothing like him. (laughs) 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 Nothing like Corey Stoll at all. Um, Another one that's... Marvel's really going to really test my anxiety this this year because i'm just like oh god is scott gonna die because it really seems like at, like phase four was everyone mourning the loss of the people that we loved and phase five is we're gonna kill everybody apparently it's based like, on the trailers it. we gotta we gotta clear we gotta clear some roof on the uh, room on the cabinet so we gotta throw everyone in the bin um so yeah i it's it, it, it it's way more dramatic and serious than i thought it was gonna be but i'm here for it for sure absolutely i can't wait okay, and we're gonna see I, it so <laughs> item number four Agatha Coven of Chaos begins filming next week. We have confirmation that the cast will include Aubrey Plaza, a Broadway legend Patti LuPone, SNL alum Shasir Zuneda, uh, returning uh, character actress Deborah Jo Rupp, uh, also uh, character actress who is in everything that is on the East Coast, that films on the East Coast, Maria Dizia. Great. If you look her up, if you don't know who she is, you will look her up and you'll know her from her face. Um, Ali Ahn, also in the cast, and Joe Luck from Heartbreakers is going to most likely be playing uh, one of our favorite uh, witches' sons, uh, Billy. Uh, but we don't have that confirmation yet, but we do know that he's in the show. And the show is going to be created by Jack Schaefer, who created WandaVision. Uh, rumor is it might be influenced by Young Avengers, the Children's Crusade, but we don't know for sure. Uh, so, Bill, thoughts on this project now that it is moving into the filming stage? I mean, you added Aubrey Plaza and Patti LuPone. I mean, this thing is going to be so over the top. It's going to be... It's about witches, so I mean... It's going to be a delight. It's going to be It's going to be great. I can't... Uh, this is going to be a huge one. And, left. and apparently there's going to be music. <laughs> can't wait. Angela Bassett, first MCU actor to win a major acting award with her Globe win for supporting actress. Also, okay. Wakanda Forever coming to Disney Plus on February 1st, confirmed. Also, Wakanda Forever nominated for Best Picture at the at the PGA's uh, Producers Guild Awards. Any thoughts? Uh, Bassett, definitely nominated for sure. Wakanda Forever, maybe borderline top 10. Uh, I think Bassett could get the win here as an honorary Oscar. I know. Wednesday superstar Jenny Ortega rumored to be joining Daredevil Born Again as White Tiger. Also, uh, Michael Gandolfini cast in a major role rumored to be uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's son. Um, as uh, as my daughter, who's a huge Wednesday fan, is standing right behind me and finding out she's in Marvel, that would be pretty great, right? Yep. And uh, Michael Gandolfini was awesome in Many Saints of Newark in a movie that wasn't awesome. And him being Kingpin's son... Oh, that just makes way too much sense. Disney Plus Stan Lee Centennial documentary announced for later this year. Will you watch it? Do you care? Uh, 100% I'm a sucker for documentaries. WWE star Becky Lynch reported f- reportedly filmed a post credit scene for Eternals to set up a future film, but the scene was deemed too depressing to be included. Do you have any thoughts? I would rather have seen that than most of the stuff in Eternals. Uh, we also have Deadpool 3 director Sean Levy confirming that the film will begin shooting this spring. Are you excited? Oh, 100%. Echo may be delayed until the fall. Uh, do you have any thoughts, especially I've, considering I've, that we made this schedule entirely based on it coming out in the spring? I just fear for you and your sanity with scheduling. That yeah, does I'll, it for us. We got through almost everything on our list. A couple of things left off. We won't get to hear Bill's thoughts on Iron Man being added to the National Registry of Film. Cool. That would have been my answer. 
Now that we're all caught up on the biggest MCU stories, more or less, let's transition to our interview with Rhiannon of the Marvel News Desk podcast and Save Daredevil campaign. As I stated earlier, she was nice enough to come to the podcast to discuss her love of Daredevil and what the MCU fans should expect if they, like Bill, are watching the Defenders verse for the very first time. She was also nice enough to provide us some exclusive behind-the-scenes stories around the years-long campaign Save Daredevil that ultimately contributed to achieving the rare feat of actually reviving the show that they loved. Now I'm excited to welcome onto the podcast our first ever interview subject. She is a co-host for Marvel News Desk, a weekly, mostly weekly uh, podcast dedicated to all the things uh, MCU and MCU related. Uh, And she was also one of the main people behind the Save Daredevil fan campaign. uh, And we're going to be getting into that. Rhiannon, welcome to the show, Rhiannon. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be the first guest. Yes, absolutely. When I thought, who can we get to try to help our audience understand why the Defenderverse and Daredevil specifically is so important, you were the first and only name on my list. So I was so happy that you agreed to come on. Awesome. I'm so honored. On that note, what are some of the things that you think fans of the MCU who maybe didn't dip their toes into the Defenderverse all those years ago should know about the Marvel Netflix shows before watching it? we heard said so much at the time that I hated it is how rounded they are and that the tone is so completely different. These are very mature shows. They're still entertaining. There's still a lot of action to them. They're still superheroes, but they're still very grounded. Like it's much easier to imagine that these people really are right next to you in your communities or in New York City at the very least than it is sometimes to, you know, accept that there's a God that has come to Earth or, you know, a Hulk, Uh, even though some of their powers are. Yeah, I mean, when you get to like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, they have that type of strength. They have some of those incredible powers. These shows, both just because of the budget and because of the source material and who the characters are, they're very grounded shows that when you're looking at the other stuff but they are also very rich universes you get to know the characters so much more you get to know their families you get to know the side characters you get to know so much of their universe and everything around them that you know it's also just more fleshed out because there are just the just the sheer number of hours from all of the series. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting about shifting gears from what we had been doing on the podcast, which is watching three or four movies or event series every month to just spending one month on one season of a TV show. It really is a totally different animal in terms of the pacing and in terms of actually exploring the characters and We are in a world where Marvel MCU has been putting out TV shows now for two years, and it's a completely different animal than what these Netflix shows were like at the time. Could you speak a little bit more towards that distinction in terms of the experience of watching the six-episode event series versus what the Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones were like back then? 
Yeah. I mean, so one thing was the Netflix series all came out at once. So you would get all 13 episodes of, you know, all, I think all of them had a 13 episode first season mm-hmm. and you would get all 13 episodes at once versus these MCU series, you know, they've all been about six episodes, you know, and they've been week to week. And, you know, so they have the cliffhangers and all of that. So while the Netflix series has cliffhangers, they do just keep moving with the story. I mean, when Daredevil season one came out, it was still revolutionary to get a whole season of a TV show at once. It's hard to go back and think like, wow, that was it hasn't been that long since that was a really novel concept. Now it feels like it's just like how TV works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like novel that Marvel's doing it every week. And on that same thing, I think some stuff from these series might feel dated. There is a bit of maybe whitewashing and uh, there's some ethnic i mean even just even in daredevil like every group of villains is like an ethnicity it's the russians or the albanians or the you know and it just yeah. like there's some stuff that is a little cringy that even like even though it's only seven years old i feel like the world has changed a whole lot in those seven years but the stories are very mature jessica jones season one the whole plot is about rape essentially something that you know the mainstream mcu has not gotten into that much you know she hulk came close to some of those topics maybe and but jessica jones was like right there front and center this is about being you know stuff happening against your will you know luke cage is about a bulletproof black man and they very much leaned into that when that was coming out Cheo hodari coker was very upfront at the time the showrunner about you know I realize I'm making a movie about a bulletproof black man and I want to go into that. I want it to be that, you know, I want I want to go into those topics head first. So there's much, much more mature topics and deeper storylines going with those. Now, on that subject, you know, it's obviously I feel like in the years since Daredevil, there's been dark and gritty has become kind of almost a pejorative in the superhero space, right? We've kind of gone <laughs> completely through the looking glass where for so long it was like, we need to make these characters more raw, more gritty, more. And then like we got a lot of that and everyone was like, how about let's have them be, you know, optimistic for James again? And like, wouldn't that be nice? So I feel like the the timeline of these Netflix shows puts them right in the middle of that where there's this kind of tension going on between whether the characters should be optimistic whether they should be reflective of something you know more nihilistic and daredevil is such an interesting character especially because his lineage in the comic books has really kind of spanned the gamut and i'm curious what do you think that the daredevil series and on netflix gets right about the character that people today would still be able to appreciate what i really latch on to with daredevil is he is a character in the comics and in his show that is depressed. Like, they never come out and say it. It's not like he's going to his psychiatrist every week for Zoloft or something. But at the heart of his character, there is, like, an inner depression. And he's, and he's working through his issues. And I think they do a really good job of showing that journey and that it's not all down in the dumpsters. Any good show is not going to be all ups or all downs. It should be a nice little emotional roller coaster where like really good things happen. And then, oh my gosh, there's a huge battle that we have to get through. And then, you know, now we have the fallout from that. Now really good things are going to happen until you reach your climax and it moves on. So I think they do a great job with Daredevil specifically and his character of having him at his core. He's always the same person that's 
a little bit broken inside, a little bit fighting his own inner demons. But he shows up and he smiles and he shows up for his friends and he's doing what he can. And then, you know, some days he just sleeps through everything. (laughs) Maybe it's because he had his butt kicked or something. And I think that's where a lot of people, most of the people that I've seen just casually on the Internet that that have been fans of the MCU and then watch Daredevil, they're like, this dude spends a lot of time like passed out on the couch because he is human and he is going through that journey and they do a great job portraying his humanity, I guess, and the ups and downs that come with it. And, you know, the actual recuperation that these people would have to go through and the actual fights that they would have with their friends as they, you know, spend two days fighting goons or henchmen and what what that would actually take to on your body and, and moving on. Yeah, and for some people it's too much of that, and for some people it's just the right amount, and I think that's the big thing with Marvel is there's a little bit for everybody. That makes sense. But now, given that, you know, we're we're getting more Daredevil, right? He's coming back. We've got a taste of him in Spider-Man No Way Home. we got a taste of him in She-Hulk, and he's going to be spending the next year of his life uh, in Manhattan shooting this new Disney Plus show, Daredevil Reborn. MCU has already shown us that there's maybe some slight differences to how he's being presented now. But as you said, there's been many years have gone by, both in the universe and outside of uh, in our own universe. Um, <laughs> are you hoping that when it, we get a full taste of Daredevil, that it's we're going to find out that, you know, Karen and Foggy are there and uh, all of the supporting cast that we fell in love with are there and that history that we saw on the Netflix shows are part of this character's history or are you hoping that we can kind of just put this all in a box and say that was in a slightly different universe telling different types of stories and now we're in a new era and we're going to start fresh with Charlie Cox and just see what the road takes us. I absolutely would love all of the characters from the original series um foggy karen um you know, sister maggie i absolutely would love to have all of that and that richness of that world i think signs are pointing towards us not getting karen nothing is really official about if we're getting foggy or not there was some quotes that came out just this week from charlie cox about he doesn't know if it'll be a variant or something at this point what i want is for it to be clear Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it to be a whole season of, oh, did he just make a reference to Foggy or is Foggy going to show up or, yeah. you know, is he referencing his fight with the hand or is he not? You know, I, I don't want it to be 18 episodes of us trying to decide and, you know, just like as a fandom trying to figure out. I don't want it to just be left to you interpret it as you want to. Uh-huh. My main hope is that they make it clear, like, yes. You know, here is Matt Murdock and these people that you're expecting seeing aren't here because they moved to California during the blip or something, you know, Mm -hmm. give an explanation why they aren't there and move on or just make it, you know, here's an alternate universe and here's where Matt Murdock popped out and, you know, stop expecting those people to show up as a personal preference from the comics. And and I think some of my friends on Save Daredevil, we all kind of agree, you know, in our chats behind the scenes, we preferred the comics when Foggy is heavily there. Mm -hmm. So more than anything, we want Foggy to be in this series because it's just 
the character of Matt Murdock needs this normal buddy to keep him just in his place, kind of. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like that role does a lot for him. So if he, if there is no Foggy Nelson, whether it's Eldon Henson or whether it's some new character or something, you know, new actor or, you know, we're in an alternate universe, if there is no Foggy Nelson, that would be sad just from the looking at the character. Overall, I'm just hoping that they somehow tell us what we're getting. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I can speak for my co-host Bill, I think, in saying that if Foggy Nelson is not a part of the new show, there's going to be like riots in the streets of Jersey because uh, he's a character that I think I care a lot about and I know Bill does as well. Talking about it uh, off mic. Uh, we both decided that we feel like we're both foggies just like waiting for a mat in our right. life you know so right. and i think a lot of the viewers of daredevil feel the same way and so it, it feels like it would be a real loss to not have him be a part of the show yeah I, I think i feel the exact same thing like when you say there's no foggy it's like oh there aren't real people in this universe yeah, yeah like which that. is a problem with the MCU sometimes, right? It's all yeah. about, like, we love that it's a, it's a superhero universe, but at the same time, sometimes it's like, is there even a single normal person on the street that the superheroes are there to protect, you know? Yeah, like, are there plus-size people in this world? Are there, like, everyday people? So, yeah, that, I, I'm right there with you guys. And, and I think that, you know, like I said, of, like, the Save Daredevil team... I think behind the scenes, we all have the same conversation. <laughs> like, like we really want Foggy. Like, the comics are best when Foggy is there. So, You bring up Save Daredevil. I'd like you to tell our audience a little bit about your work with that group over the years and, like, what yeah. their whole deal is and, and also, like, how they feel now that the character is back. And you kind of did the thing that fan movements almost <laughs> never get to do, which is have a victory lap. Yeah, we are all just still pinching ourselves. So Save Daredevil, um, like really quickly after season three of Daredevil came out, a group of people got together and started a campaign to renew Daredevil to like urge Netflix to make season four. I was not involved with them at the time because, I mean, to be completely honest, because I'm personally a friend with one of the writers on Daredevil season three, and I knew she was sitting in the writer's room for season four. So I was like, we don't have to rush them to make season four. They're making it. Um, it's just not public. And, yeah, as we all know, like Netflix canceled it. And they had like literally like they had just bought domain names. They had set up a Twitter handle. They you know, they had put, started this, you know, just really coordinated effort. So within hours, they pivoted to being saved air double. And from day one, this group, which. I, I got involved. I was probably the last person of Team Save Daredevil behind the scenes to join because I think Save Our Show's campaigns are stupid. Just <laughs> <laughs> I've said that in many of their podcasts. They have a podcast called Daredevil that we've done a lot of. And I, you know, I've been very open with all of them and with this. But from day one, they were like, we want this to be a very positive campaign. We want it to be something that every single person affiliated with this show wants to be affiliated with us. We want them all to, you know, we want to be nothing but positivity because, like, these folks might want to work for Netflix again. So we don't want it to be, you know, like, let's burn Netflix to the ground. You know, let's, <laughs> we're not going to put anything down. We're going to lift up everything that we loved about Daredevil. And they studied, like, every single interview, every single piece of information that was public. And they were like, it is going to be at least two years before Marvel can do anything with this character. So from day one, they were like, our campaign is going to be for at least two years. 
we're going to have to do all of this work for two years. So they just sort of paced themselves and they did charity campaigns. They did Emmy campaigns to try to get season three of Daredevil, like Emmy nominations and stuff. They just started this very coordinated effort. And I jumped in um, around the time of the billboard. <laughs> like I met them and started hanging out with them. Somebody reached out and bought a billboard in Times Square. And so we ended up getting a lot of press from that. We ended up getting a lot of support from the actors and it was just a really positive movement. And then when the pandemic hit, we were just all, we all just sort of funneled ourselves into the efforts because why not? Yeah. Um, and we got a little bit more ridiculous. I mean, well, I mean, we were pretty ridiculous from the beginning. We would send packages to Kevin Feige, to Hulu, to anybody that we thought had the pull to get Daredevil back on television as it was before with Charlie Cox, with the same actors, crew, and creative, like, tone. Right before the pandemic at New York Comic Con, we held a party on a rooftop. And to our surprise, Joe Casada, the vice president of Marvel at the time, Charlie Cox, some of the actors from the show that played, like, Josie and Ellison and Brett Mahoney, they all came and joined this party. And it was just amazing. It was like, the, yeah, I mean, like, Joe Casada showing up at your party. Like, Charlie Cox... Yeah. Like, obviously, that was fantastic. But, like, for Joe Casada, one of the executives at Marvel to be there, you know, we were all just like, oh, my gosh. Like, we now actually how had did that chance. happen? So we're incredibly extra. Well, I mean, like, I just planned the party because I had been going to New York Comic Con for a few years and found that, like, by Saturday night, you had friends that were there and you wanted to all go out to eat at the same place or something you might as well plan something uncoordinated. <laughs> and I was like, if 10 people show up or if 50 people show up, we have the space and, you know, it was pay your own tab. So, you know, we just invited a lot of people. So uh, one of the women on Save Daredevil is a graphic designer. So she designed us like formal invitations and we printed them out. We might've laminated them. I don't remember. And like had formal invitations. We had like a Save Daredevil stamp and... All of this, and we just carried them around with us at Comic Con. So Joe Casada was at the Marvel booth doing a signing or something, and we walked up to him. And we we're like, "Here's the invitation to our party," and his wife was there actually in a Save Daredevil shirt. Oh wow! So so she um, already knew like that. Yeah, he must have been aware of you guys by then. Yeah, yeah. So I like in hindsight, I think she was the one that was like, we have to go to their party. But like in talking to him, like evidently he Saturday night, all of his stuff at Comic-Con is usually over. So it was just a good time for him to come. And it was just amazing. I mean, it was it was so uplifting and sort of every time that we thought about giving up or that we just like didn't have the energy to do it, there would be something like that that we're like, okay, no, we need to keep, you know, hyping. And then it worked. I mean, that's where we just we started getting whispers and rumors of, you know, that Charlie was going to be in no way home, which we thought was ridiculous. The forearm until, controversy. Who could forget? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The forearm. Oh, my gosh. I knew that. For people who story. don't know, there was a trailer for No Way Home where there was a lawyer type character who's who was only shown on screen with a forearm. Uh, and it was completely impossible to know who it was. But many people were like, that must be Charlie Cox's forearm. Yeah. But even I mean, but like from the time Far From Home. So Far From Home came out at some point in that two years that Marvel couldn't touch Daredevil. And when it ended, everybody was like, well, Matt Murdock has to be his attorney. He's going to need an attorney. It's going to be Matt Murdock. Like, obviously, Marvel's going to bring in Daredevil for this. And, like, 
at Save Daredevil, we're looking at all the information that we know, like Marvel can't touch him for this long, like supposedly even behind the scenes, they couldn't talk about using it. It wasn't like they couldn't sit there and be like, okay, as soon as we get the rights back to Daredevil, we're going to do this. Our understanding was like they could not mention his name in any of their plans until a certain point. We're just like, no, there's no way that they're planning that. And then like these murmurs kept going and kept going and kept going. And yeah, and then there, there's there's form and then he's in the freaking movie. And yeah, it's Charlie Cox back in the role in the MCU. It was just. Yeah, no, like by the time crazy. that you were sitting in a theater, you knew that that was going to happen, even though that was a, supposed to be a surprise. I mean, yeah. the world that you swim in, you definitely oh, yeah. knew that was happening. But what yeah. was it like to be in a theater and see him pop up on screen like that? I went with, like, my high school best friend and, like, because it came out around Christmas last year. And I was like, look, I I bought a Spider-Man tickets. You're going to see it with me. And when this scene happens, I'm going to, you know, be ridiculous. Yeah, no promises of how I'm going to behave. What I really appreciate is that it was in, like, the first five minutes of the movie. And somebody told me. That it was in the first five minutes of the movie because like the press didn't get to see the whole movie or something. They got like the first 20 minutes mm-hmm. or whatever. And so somebody in the press was like, yeah, he's in the first five minutes. So I was just really glad they got that out of the way. So I wasn't watching the whole movie, like waiting for the forearm or waiting <laughs> for that specific moment so that I could enjoy the movie. The real moment that was absolutely surreal was the Comic-Con announcement in July at San Diego Comic-Con. There were six or seven of us there with Save Daredevil at that event. And we, I mean, like Comic-Con, Hall H, we had to camp out for the whole day before. We were in this lovely group where some people went and did like the early morning get our place in line thing that just thinking about stresses me out. And so we got a nice place in line and we just had to hold it all day and we just all showed up with our Save Daredevil shirts. And and it's just so cool. The Comic-Cons are so cool because other people come up and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, we love you guys. We love Daredevil. And, you know, like for them to know the campaign and everything. But to sit in that room and with absolutely no warning be told that there were going to be 18 episodes of Daredevil made, our souls left our bodies. <laughs> I can't imagine. Because for people who don't know, like, there was an expectation that something with Daredevil was probably going to be announced at the Comic-Con. We didn't know for sure what it would be. We didn't know. We knew by then that, like, he was probably going to be in She-Hulk. But we didn't even know for sure that before they released the trailer at Comic-Con. So there was... We knew that, like, they had plans for the character, but what is it going to be? Is he just going to keep cameoing in other people's things for a while? Are they going to give him his own show? And then for them to announce that not only is he getting his own show, but it's going to run, like, half a year, basically, or, like, a third of the year. I can't imagine what that must have been like for you guys. And the fact that you guys got to be together to hear that must have been so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we we died. Um, well, we, yeah, I mean, it just, and they gave us that again, right at the beginning of the presentation, you know, Feige's going through and we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And all of these shows have been six or nine episodes. And then it's just like, oh, but we're doing 18 episodes of Daredevil Born Again. And it just didn't even register. And then like, I think as soon as most of us could breathe again, they gave us the She-Hulk trailer and he was in it. Uh Uh-huh. Which we were told, I mean, like, you know, like I said, there's people in the press that, sort of reach out to us scoopers and stuff and you know we were told sort of don't expect any daredevil news don't expect him in the she-hole trailer yeah i was told that they weren't going to that they were going to pretend that he wasn't in she-hulk at all that there was going to be like zero press of 
Charlie Cox Daredevil and She-Hulk and it was going to be a big surprise. And then they give us the trailer and he's right there. And I'm like, we died again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as a group, one, we're all completely exhausted because getting to Hall H is exhausting. And then, yeah, and then we got those two just bombshells. There's a video somewhere. We did a video outside right afterwards, just like by the bay in San Diego of like our immediate feelings and everything. But it was just incredible. Like after all that effort, all of the... And like I said, I never believed. I never believed. (laughs) I participated because we were having fun and it was a nice little creative outlet and we were doing fun things. But I never believed that it would actually lead to Kevin Feige on stage announcing 18 episodes of Daredevil. And it really does seem like it was a direct relationship, right? Like now, obviously, he's a popular character. They were always, once they got their rights back, they were always going to do something with him eventually, right? But the idea of it being Charlie Cox, of bringing back that iteration of the character, the one that we fell in love with, instead of just wiping the slate clean and starting new, which is what they've done with a lot of the other characters that they have inherited over the years, every single interview says that's because the fans demanded it. They knew there was such a groundswell of support for the character and that version of that character. And they were also consistently surprised over the years just how much that fan base didn't back down and and remained so passionate. So, And that's all thanks to you guys, right? You guys helped organize that and put that into the world. And like you said, we've seen a lot of fandoms, a lot of fan campaigns go really south in ways that were turn toxic and make it kind of uncomfortable for everybody to to be around (laughs) and we see a lot of fan movements that come up and when you get the bad news and it it you know peters out within a few months and you guys put in the work and and we're dedicated and uh and you got what you wanted which almost never happens so congratulations and thank you because we're all so happy to have more of it (laughs) yes yeah, and we've, I mean, Charlie has given us so many shout outs and interviews and stuff that, like, we don't know what Feige was thinking when he made his decisions, but Charlie definitely does give us so many shout outs that we have and to it think. it seems sincere. It seems like that yeah. billboard really was an emotional experience for him to see that people <laughs> put in the time and the money to do something like that. That seemed to really touch him in a real way, so... Yeah, And that's, I mean, that's amazing that you guys were able to do that for each other. The billboard. And then we did special things for Charlie. So Charlie was on Broadway for like six months. Mm-hmm. And that was one time that we could send like goodies to him and know they would okay. get there. We could send stuff to the theater. So like on opening night, we sent cookies to the cast of Betrayal, Aww. which was like Tom Hiddleston, Charlie Cox, and Zawe Ashton, who is now Tom's wife. Mm-hmm. um and, and we'll be in the, the marvels yeah and we'll be in the marvels so we would like send them goodies all the time so like i i feel like a lot of just like positivity that like even the rest of the world doesn't see sort mm-hmm. of went into the save daredevil campaign behind the scenes so that's sort of our goal also going forward you were talking about going forward because everybody's like okay you've saved it now what and it's just to sort of keep up that positivity because even though the show's been saved, there's people who are like, well, but it's the wrong tone or well, it, you know, there's people are obsessive about finding new ways to be upset with stuff. Yes. And <laughs> we are intent on remaining positive and hyping and like we got this. We've reached this amazing milestone. We're going to hype it until I mean, you know, if I if if we finally watch it and it's a giant pile of crap, 
we will probably still find things to be positive about. You know, we'll still love Charlie Cox. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I could come back and eat these words, but I don't see any way they could make it so awful that I would no longer like Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox. Our goal at this point is to just be that face of positivity with the campaign and, you know, welcome all these people that are watching it for the first time. (laughs) I mean, that's the greatest thing. I mean, if people are listening to your podcast and they are just now watching Daredevil for the first time or the whole Defenders verse, like we live on those reactions. Yeah, well, that's our my co-host Bill, that is his experience. He's never seen any Defenders uh, verse content at all. And he's obviously at this point finished the first season of Daredevil and is going to share with our audience what he thinks about it. But I'll just say he's very excited to continue this project. <laughs> yay, yay. Well, that's, yeah, like go online, go to Twitter, tag, saved. I think on Twitter we're saved with the D, okay. Daredevil. I think everywhere else we're saved Daredevil. I mean, maybe on TikTok we're saved Daredevil for like the five TikToks I've put up there. But <laughs> um, but definitely if your listeners are doing that and they're hyped about it and they're loving it, tag us. Put those reactions out there because we just live on it. Like there's no gatekeeping. Like the fandom is big enough for everybody. Um, and we're just loving seeing all these people experience it for the first time. So do you have any expectations for what the series might be? You know, we've talked a little bit about the tone, whether it'll be connected or not connected. But, you know, Born Again obviously is a comic book arc. A lot of the times Marvel takes titles from comic book arcs that they don't end up actually adapting much at all, like Age of Ultron style. Um, So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what we're going to get. But do you have a comic book arc that you or multiple comic book arcs that you're looking for? There's also rumors that maybe it's just going to be kind of like a case of the week, uh, like Daredevil and his amazing friends kind of team up show for 18 weeks. Is that something that you would like? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? So, I mean, it's 18 episodes, so they can go in so many directions. And I actually, in a weird cycle of geekiness, before I watched Daredevil, I watched all five seasons obsessively of Covert Affairs, which was run by Matt Corman and Chris Ord that are show running Daredevil Born Again. They are really good at, you know, like the story of the week. Like that show sort of spanned the story of the week and into the world when television went to like the season long arcs. You know, I hope that there are small arcs that they work through. I don't want an 18 episode arc. I will be so sick of something by the end of 18 episodes if it's an 18, you know. So I hope it's mini arcs with, you know, a little bit of villain of the week. You know, everything's saying it's going to be a lighter tone. It's not going to be as mature, but I'm not worried about that at all. You don't need a decapitation in the first few episodes for it to feel like Daredevil to you? No, no. That's I mean, you know, like Charlie has said, you know, as long as it's me, it's going to be a certain... Matt Murdock you know, yeah he's always going to have like that element of it to him and 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 I'm comfortable with that like I feel like Charlie will always be true to the character and there's a lot of people talking about Mark Wade run in the Mark Wade run that's where I talk about like the character's depression mm-hmm. the whole thing with the Mark Wade run is is that Matt is being happy and cheery and all of that to hide his depression And, you know, just sort of as a mask for what he's really going through. Some of the most depressing material is actually in that run. So I'm not worried about that arc because I know they will take it there. It'll have ups and downs, you know, like it'll be a good show with ups and downs and those downs 
the higher you go, the further you fall. So I like, I'm not worried about that. I absolutely, you know, as far as runs. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the born again story was in season three of daredevil. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how much we could get. I would absolutely love for some of that stuff to come back. The sister Maggie stuff. I don't want to spoil any of your fans. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some of, you know, like the Sister Maggie character, I would love for some of that to come back around. I've heard rumors of Typhoid Mary. I've heard rumors of The Devil's Reign. All I just want is that it's deep. I mean, that the 18 episodes feel deep. I want it to feel mature. I want it to be a storyline that makes sense. You know, I think. I, I want each episode to be good television. Um, Such high standards. I know. <laughs> I know, but uh, they've been really hard for Marvel. And some of these. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like some of their television has been very weird. Yeah, you know, they've really struggled with the long format. Yeah. And so, I mean, I I don't know, like specifically, I what I've wanted since the end of season three is Typhoid Mary. I love the Typhoid Mary character. I feel like um, the little bit that they used her in Iron Fist was great. Um, the season four that they were writing, there's a Save Daredevil uh, YouTube video with the writer, with um, Eric Olison talking about what they had planned to do, and they had planned to do a Typhoid Mary story. So I just, I want that so bad. I want a Typhoid Mary story. I want that personality. What I yeah, I want it to be evidently in Devil's Reign. She has a relationship with Fisk and we know we're going to get Fisk. I would love a situation where she's having a relationship with Matt and Fisk and just, you know, is one of those catalysts to make everything crazy. Sure. That's my personal wish list for all of this. But as far as runs and arcs and all of that, I don't think we'll see any one specific run. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've said that they're going to leave leave it open for potential future seasons, which I can't even believe they're saying that at this point. So don't use everything up, but give me my typewriting <laughs> Mary now. I'm not waiting any longer for that. Um, you know, but there's there's so many. I mean, Daredevil's been the comics have been around for I get we're getting close to 60 years at this point, like 59 years. And there's a rich rogues gallery for them to dive into bring them like i actually was a little bit disappointed when i heard that they were bringing vincent d'onofrio back for more fisk because okay. i love him don't get me wrong love him 100 percent. but i just feel like there's so many other villains and so many other directions the character can go sure so i hope i hope that they are going in those directions and doing other things yeah well i think the nice thing about fisk as a character is that he doesn't always have to be front and center right he could be pulling other people's strings and kind of manipulating events and so it gives them space to put other interesting villain characters into the center for a while and have fist kind of just be a looming threat like he was in hawkeye exactly yeah so yeah it seems like that's where they're leaning to using him i hope that's the case that it's not exactly like what we've already gotten with him on the on the tv show yeah. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, there's some room. I mean, they they have casted um, Gandolfini and that, mm-hmm. I mean, that was in the trades. So I think that's reliable information. Um, and there's some rumors that he might be like Fisk's son or something like that. So they might be going into more, like I said, the deepness of the characters. Yeah. There might be more of Fisk's personal relationships and his personal business dealings. And we see more of that. And I'm down for that. Um, 
but yeah, like give me some of, you know, Matt experiencing things and not knowing Fisk is pulling the strings in a very smart way. If I can figure it out in episode three and it gets revealed in episode 18. (laughs) Yeah. I I hope that I have, I have faith that they've learned (laughs) enough to not do that. I feel like, you know, they can barely hold the secrets for six episode reveals, let alone 18 episodes. So hopefully they don't go down that road. (laughs) Um, But speaking of roads that people are not going down, uh, we've decided to give six months over to the Defenders verse, but unfortunately that means that some heroes didn't make the cut. Uh, <laughs> and you might be able to guess which ones they were. Um, we're not going to be covering any seasons of Iron Fist or The Punisher. We'll be meeting Iron Fist in the Defenders crossover, and we'll be meeting The Punisher in season two of Daredevil. Uh, but that's the only taste that our audience is going to be getting if they're just following our strict watch along. So I was wondering as like a last uh, thing to talk about before we go... Can you give us like a understanding of what our audience is missing by not seeing those two characters and their two seasons of uh, TV? You know, I feel like they really struggled with giving the Punisher his own series. Like your audience is definitely going to meet him. They're going to get even John Bernthal has said in an interview that his favorite season of the Punisher was Daredevil season two. You know, he's great in Daredevil season two. Yeah, so I feel like that's a great choice. Your audience is going to get to know him. They're going to, you know, see his backstory. They're going, you know, when he shows up, if and when he shows up in Born Again, which there's a lot of rumors that he will. I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I talk about like scoopers give us hints and all that. I don't know anything, but there's just a lot of rumors about it. So I'm just assuming we're going to see him in born again you know they're gonna know who he is i feel like those shows just sort of rehashed his origin story and gave us more of him you know you would know him more deeply if you watched those seasons but it's almost kind of inconsistent so i feel like you're almost in a better place just seeing him in daredevil and then moving on iron fist you know iron fist really suffered that's where at the very beginning of this i was talking about that grounded was almost a bad word back when we were watching these series for the first time Mm mm-hmm Iron Fist is a character that needed the treatment that Shang-Chi got, but didn't have anywhere near the budget. You know, you also have to remember when these series were made, Marvel couldn't just execute their vision. Marvel was making these series for Netflix, and Netflix was providing their vision, and there were a lot of people that had a say in it. So Netflix didn't want a mystical, you know, fantasy show that Iron Fist could have maybe benefited from being... You know, I think the main thing that your characters are missing there is like getting to know the Danny Rand and getting to know there again, the side characters on that. Colleen Wing, Ward Meacham. There are some amazing side characters in those shows. I think you get more Misty Knight. Uh, you get more yeah, Claire in Temple. The, in the second season, yeah. she's a big part of that, yeah. Yeah, and the second season of Iron Fist, I a lot of people never even got there, but I thought the second season of Iron Fist was great. But it was Typhoid Mary. They gave us yep. that character. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us the character I've been wanting. Um, and, they, was, and they gave us Daughters of the Dragon, and they get and they really kind of sidelined Danny for a lot of the show. It, it kind of felt like yeah. they realized that he wasn't really, he couldn't be the the center of the show anymore in a way that would actually work. So, but they had such a talented supporting cast that they leaned on them, and I think it really helped. I I'm right there with you. I think the second season yeah. is is much better than people would expect. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people never got there, but I'm like, if you if you if you watched the first season, watch that second season, because yeah. 
And I don't know. I mean, it's been so long since I watched it. I don't know if you could jump into the second season after watching like the Defenders and mm-hmm. Luke Cage. You might be able to, you know, if if your listeners, because I would say of those four seasons that you're skipping, the two seasons of Punisher and two seasons of Iron Fist, the second season of Iron Fist might be my favorite. Yeah. yeah. So it might be, you know, if if they watch all of it and they love all of what they've seen, they might want to jump into that. But yeah, it went in so many great directions. I haven't heard any rumblings of like Misty Knight of Simone Missick or Jessica Hennick's Colleen Wing or uh, any of them popping up in this new series. Yeah, both of their stars are much more high profile than they were yeah. when they were on those shows. So yeah. I'm curious. On the like on the one hand, it makes it feel like well they're even more qualified to be MCU participants, but on the other hand, they're probably way busier and scheduling would probably be hard. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I would love to see them pop up and have a role in whatever they're doing going forward. Yes. They would be a fantastic surprise. My hope is that we like there's a lot of rumors of like, well, maybe they'll recast the Danny Rand character. Maybe they'll reboot him in some other way. I mean, not to spoil how Iron Fist 2 ends, but it ends on a place where, you know, Colleen could are, like just be Iron Fist moving forward. And I feel like that was such a rich character. And Jessica Henwick is such a fantastic actress. The thing that I'm hoping for is that she pops up as the Iron Fist and she's just canonically the Iron Fist moving forward because I think that would be fantastic and just solve a lot of problems. <laughs> I agree. That would solve all the problems. Um, and she would be great. And she deserves it. Well, you know who else is great? You. Thank you so oh. much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for all the work that you did in, in making this podcast possible by getting Daredevil back on on our screens. So that way we had an excuse to talk to him about him again. And sure. uh, and thanks for your time. Yeah. Enjoy. I'll look forward to seeing what everybody thinks of it. time to finally hear what Bill and I thought about this seven-year-old television series. I know you guys have been on the edge of your seat to find out. <laughs> we well, have it's the best over... time to do it because we have to, you know, it's a filming this year and, you know, next year it'll be a, a 94 episode. It's, it's, <laughs> it's airing three times a week. Uh, yeah, I hear every time that HBO Max uh, cancels its TV show, Disney just adds an extra 10 episodes to the Daredevil order. Just for no reason, just for chaos. <laughs> I would love it. Just out of spite, Bob Iger's like, give him more Daredevil. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. Now, in order to cover this show, we have decided to bring over a few of the segments from our season one uh, version of that Bill vs. the MCU. And we will also be debuting a few Defenders-specific segments for this season that will be running again for the next six months. But we can't start out without, once again, checking into Fury's Notebook, where we introduce some of the major players in this season of television. They include Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil, Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Kingpin Fisk, Eldon Henson as Foggy Nelson, Attorney at Law, Deborah Ann Wool as Karen Page, the unluckiest girl in the world. Ever. Vondi Curtis Hall as Ben Urich, who is what unlucky enough to know Karen Page. Rosaria Dawson as Claire Temple. Toby Leonard Moore as James Wesley. Elliot Zurer as Vanessa Mariana, aka the love of Wilson Fisk's life. 
Bob Gooden as the uh, scene stealing Leland Owlsley. <laughs> so Nikol- pissed off all the time. <laughs> Nikolai Nikolov as Vladimir Renovskov. It's not a real name. Uh, why, <laughs> why Ching Ho as Madame Gao and Scott Glenn as the indomitable stick. <laughs> Any characters that I didn't mention here that you wanted to briefly bring up? These are kind of the main players. Obviously, TV show, there's lots of, you know, day players that pop in and pop out as well. But I feel like this is the, the core cast of the ensemble. 100% core cast. Okay. So now that we know all of the players, it is time to bring back our favorite installment of the show, Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner, where we can explore just how well this show held up after seven years. Now, I know, Bill, that this was your first time watching this. And I'm yeah. curious, after so, so much hype over the years, so many annoying people like me and Al telling you, you got to watch Jared Did it live up to the hype? Well, I didn't. Okay, so let me give it context of why I didn't watch it real quick. So when this came out in, I believe, spring of 2015, I had just lost my job and also became a dad. So I was a stay-at-home dad for like six months while freelancing for three different companies and trying to find a full-time job. So it was like I literally would just watch Anthony Bourdain reruns and work. So I had no time to engage in any original content, I think, at all. And that's also kind of why I got behind on the MCU, but I got burnt out. I wanted to see this so bad, but I just, I just was one of those things. I just never got to it. My brother-in-law would hound me, Al, you, they're just like, just watch it. Actually, um, I th- and Tyler McCarthy too. He's like, you have to watch it. And I was like, I think you guys all undersold it. This is the most <laughs> Bill Bodkin show creation of art outside of the wrestler, which was like a hundred and thousand percent for, made for me. This, I mean, that was the Daredevil is just like the most Catholic Irish Catholic thing ever. You know, my grandfather was a amateur boxer whose manager, quote unquote, was um, taken out of action by the mob. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a lot of I I spent a lot of time in Hell's Kitchen um, when it was much nicer in the early 2000s. Like this was really just this was definitely a show made for me. It was excellent. I am so glad this was the first thing we're getting to talk about. Um, I couldn't. I just found myself every time watching this, like, I'm like, I can't just watch one episode, but I'd always start it at like 11 o'clock at night. So I'd be like like, an incredibly visually dark show. So it's really hard to stay awake. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I just feel like, oh, I could stay up till four watching all these episodes, but I just can't. I have to work. But it, it was great to watch. Like, I thoroughly loved watching everything. And it definitely exceeded all of my expectations with just how well done it was as an action series like the amount of legal stuff they had in there the the criminal the like the crime drama element of it it took so many genres and just effortlessly put it together into this wonderful tapestry of violence yeah i i remember when i watched it for the very first time uh it was such a huge deal that we were getting i mean at the time they really sold this as part of the mcu um even though that slowly started to fade away right the whole like jeff Loeb, it's all connected um, was a major thing like there for instance the the boxer that uh charlie cock that matt murdoch's dad fights in one of the early things creel uh his his son was a character on agents of shield at this point which we may or may not that's get right. to later on that's right, yeah. um and so they like made a big deal like a lot of blogs at the time were like look there's like look they like would like circle the poster of creel and be like it's the same person it's connected so it was like a big thing going on but i think it, it it's appeal immediately broadened from that because it just had such a distinctive quality to it it was so dark and and gritty and it really felt like it was 
especially with the character of Daredevil, who is so beloved in the comic book, so many different eras of that character, so many different types of things that you could do. And in live action, it really only had that one Ben Affleck movie, which was a kind of a huge disaster back in 2003. Um, I actually think there was an iteration on it on NBC within like the Incredible Hulk world. Like, I think they wanted to try yeah. it. Right? It was he would well I believe what it is is that Daredevil appeared in some of the Incredible Hulk movies, movies TV movies, yeah. um, at least once, maybe more than once, um, as a supporting character, dressed a lot like how Matt Murdock is dressed throughout yeah. most of the show and his kind of like pirate um, vigilante getup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but outside of that, yeah, all we had was the Ben Affleck movie, which I mean it did decent business, but it was not well received by fans or critics and. Uh, you know, it spun off the Electra franchise, which then was even more uh, horribly received uh, and was like blamed for why women couldn't be leads of action movies for a decade, which is ridiculous and sexist, but uh, goes to show what a colossal disaster that was. So uh, this and after that, it was just kind of like, well, I guess we're never going to get a good um, character portrait of this character, you know. There, it was controlled by Fox, and for a while uh, there was a, a movement to try to get a San Francisco-based 70s um, set Daredevil movie off the ground, and that was in pre-production and development for a while. But eventually they just decided not to pull the trigger on it, and the, and the rights lapsed and went back to Marvel. And then Marvel was like, hey, we're going to make this TV show, and it was kind of seismic. And you know, Vincent D'Onofrio is big deal as Wilson Fisk. Most people didn't really know many of the other characters other than, you know, like uh, Eldon Henson was best known for his work as a child actor. Uh, Deborah Ann Wool was probably the most famous person outside True of Blood. Vincent D'Onofrio from True Blood. But, well, uh, Charlie you know, Cox, and people, he was had a good run on Boardwalk he was on Empire. Boss, he, he, yeah, he was on Boardwalk Empire, but it wasn't like he wasn't the star of Boardwalk Empire. Shady, you know? yeah. <laughs> there's also there's also another Marvel tie into this and it, it like that they tried like is actually a big deal when they said it was Roxxon. Roxxon is one of the companies sure. that sued when they're when they're interns. That is a yes. huge part of the MCU. I remember that in the X Men cartoons too. They had it's that true. in different comics, but. What so you I, I, Bill, I hope they put what you in. don't know because you don't you didn't watch a lot of uh, Marvel TV, but Marvel TV chose to use the Roxxon Corporation as their catch-all. Look, it's the Marvel Universe thing in every single one of its shows. Um, they would make obscure references to Roxxon Corp, uh, and it would never so really amount like to anything. So it's like so it's like Acme. Basically, and, yeah. So right. it's just you're right that at the time I was like, oh wow, it's a, but it's so funny to think in retrospect because they just like that was their one move that they had that they just went to over and over again. But uh, but yeah, this was a huge deal and it was really uh, remarked upon as having fantastic stunts, fantastic yeah. cinematography, really distinctive style, and it kind of turned Charlie Cox into an overnight sensation. And it really was like, wow, maybe is this the best thing that Marvel has put out? That was a conversation happening in 2015. Sure. And in that context, I remember feeling like, you know, I like this show, but I feel like there's like a crisis of conscience going on between within Matt Murdock of like, am I, should I kill or not? And would that make me a bad person? And that at the time annoyed me because he's beating people within an inch of their life and is fine with that. But then is like having this big moral conflict over uh, whether he should actually murder somebody in cold blood. And it's like, you're, you're literally just so close to doing it anyway. Like, why is this such a, a principle? But in watching it a second time, I realized 
oh, you dummy, that's the whole fucking point in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't say that. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's, that's, that. like, everybody's trying to be like, yeah, you're acting like, oh, no, I can't cross the line. Like, you're acting like a lunatic, Matt. Stop, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally foggy. It's like, you're a maniac, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at that, I was like, oh, okay, I just missed this in the moment and didn't realize that's literally the subtext of the entire show. So uh, th- that went down a lot smoother this time around. And I really felt like Charlie Cox his performance as a person who is you know uh who wants to be an upstanding citizen but also has this thing inside of him that makes him want to punch people and trying to trying to reconcile those two things and create this like you know catholic hierarchy of of sin around it uh is actually incredibly well executed and i really enjoyed it this time around yeah, as someone who goes to church a lot, I could tell you, and I'm like, wow, this is really, they're real, like, so, <laughs> the, someone definitely had an Irish mom somewhere. Uh, but I think one of the most fascinating characters and just his crisis of conscience, and it's just paralleling to Matt, is, is Wilson Fisk. D'Onofrio is so amazing in this. Who is truly the co-lead of this show. Like, oh, he takes a few episodes sure. to come out, and I think they do a good job of building up the threat of Wilson Fisk by not showing him that much in the very, or not showing him at all in the beginning and mm-hmm. referring to him as my employer you know all that kind of stuff i loved wesley and, <laughs> he's so good he's so good but, but once he comes on and i actually uh, in the rewatch I was surprised by how quickly he came on because in my head i felt like it was more of like a halfway through the season sort of thing but i feel like it really he really comes on sooner than that um he really takes over as a co-lead of the show and is so compelling and so captivating and please continue to talk about vincent d'onofrio in this iconic role i'm going to ask you a question about it in the the finale when he's going to get he might get away uh-huh. like do you want him to get away? Because I, I kind of do. Because I'm like, no, 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 no. He should go with Vanessa. Just like get married, and then like then then Daredevil get him in season two. Then we get season two. Because I kind of was like, at times Fisk is so, he's so complex because it's like he is a murderous piece of shit. Like he really is. He he just straight up like crushes a guy's head in the door and does not think twice about it. Like, um, and he. But at the same time, like you see his childhood and what he came from. And but also, is he doing stuff that's that different from what Matt's doing? No, he's not. He's and that's, actually, and that's, the show, that's what's great people. about the show. Yeah. He's just it, killing people. But also, it's just like he he does want to be like he has that whole speech about uh, the Good Samaritan. And, the, and he's like he always thought he was the Samaritan who was helping the city. And then he realized who he really was because he really did want to make Hell's Kitchen better. Like he wanted to do what his dad wanted to do. He just was never cognizant of that. His dad was like, you know, doing this just to get power. I mean, he also knew his dad was a bad guy, but he always I felt like there was something like, oh, my dad wanted to make this a better place. I'm no, you know what? I'm going to be my dad and make it a better place. Much like Matt. Matt was like, my dad wanted to be a good hero and be a good. He was a good guy. So I'm going to be a good guy. You know what I mean? It was like they're both influenced and in, by and that. And in the process of doing that, they inherit their father's the worst sins. parts. Yeah. 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 No, I think that that's yeah, very well that. between the two characters. And yeah, you said never, you've, you've never no, experienced never that never experienced no. that never never of course not I mean <laughs> you, okay. that's true allegedly you blew up an entire city block allegedly but you were exonerated of those charges back in '99 so. I, yeah well, I mean it was I was like 42 at the time um, but uh, <laughs> yeah it's it, and that's like Fisk and everything with Vanessa and Fisk is fantastic like that whole relationship of how he's just how he's so awkward with her in the beginning because I mean he huh. is a big awkward guy you know yeah. And like, and also I love this, this, um, this show gave like big Husky guys, like the opportunity to 
hook up with like attractive women. I was like, all right, I, I felt seen. Good for, good for well, that. Well, I feel good like the thing that they were telling you is you need to have just a little bit of a chaotic malevolence in the back of your eye, and then you could pick up any hot girl you want. <laughs> I mean, I got the chaos part down, that's for sure. But um, yeah, I just love like Fisk and how he's just like. You kind of, and that's like I mentioned before in different podcasts, like I love a villain who has a good point and like you can sort of like see it and you're like, wow, I kind of get his point. And then they just, you know, break your heart and they're like, no, no, he's just the fucking worst. But I love that. And I love the clash with him and Matt and um, everything about Fisk, man. It's just like you want to see more. And that whole ending where he's just staring at the wall again, you're like, son of a bitch this is so good <laughs> like i didn't want it to end and then i realized we're doing jessica jones next, next instead of daredevil I'm like shit i'm like i need to know what happens but fisk is just one of the great and this is a, something I, why it's so important for people to go back to this yeah um to watch it before the new series because if you've just like me been introduced to daredevil in like the quick cameo in spider-man or in she-hulk or fisk in hawkeye you're missing everything that's you can't go into that without getting this background the show could be completely different but you need this background to really love these characters and you will because they're so some of the best i think marvel's ever done yeah well and that's something that rhiannon talked about in our interview is just the way that these shows allow for character development and really get into the nitty-gritty of who these people are and give them the space to show how complex and interesting they are as characters and that's just something that uh, the nature of a movie is just gonna it's gonna work differently it's Mm -hmm. not that you can't have that i mean some of my favorite films are character studies in that respect but you know when you're talking about a marvel movie and it's like so much going on and you have to have time for the action set pieces it's it's difficult some of the best character development in the marvel movies are are is character development that went across several movies when and that's when you feel the payoff of it and the benefit of a tv show is that you get it all in the span of 13 episodes you know and i think that this does such a great job of doing of just peeling back the layers of wilson fisk and uh and showing how you know (laughs) i'm thinking about another podcast that we were on not too long ago the batman by the numbers podcast we were talking about Batman, the Tim Burton Batman, and how I don't particularly like that one relative to, you know, its mm-hmm. popular consensus. And the thing that that movie does, that so many action movies of that era did, was the kind of, like, you, we're not so different, you and I, Joker and Batman, right? And the idea of, like, they're just two sides of the same coin. And in Tim Burton's vision, they're just two weirdo art freaks who just can't handle life and so they have to act in these socially deviant ways right um one for good and one for justice and it's just like it doesn't it just didn't work for me it didn't feel compelling or interesting and not what those characters are but in this show what they do so well is truly make you feel like yeah they aren't that different and the ways in which they are different is so meaningful but it also says so that the tension inside of these two men are the same and it's just a question of who's on which side of the line at any given moment. And you do feel towards the, you know, the second half of that season that, like, there really could be a moment where they flip and Matt is on the wrong side of things and and Wilson is weirdly on the right side of things, right? Like, the argument of, like, yeah. the world is so corrupt and terrible that maybe you do have to be corrupt in order to make it better. Like, that is as legitimate of an argument as the like e- criminals are so terrible that i have to beat the shit out of them in order to get but, justice yeah, I, you know i feel like they both were willing to maybe fisk not as much but matt was willing to die for it he definitely felt that way he's like i'm ready to sacrifice everything to make this city better in terms like his self-sacrifice 
Whereas Fisk, I feel like, I don't know if he was willing to self-sacrifice for that, but he was willing to kill everybody else. Like, Matt, Well, I, I think it's kind of, Fisk is kind of like the, you know, in Avengers, when, when Cap and Tony are having that argument about, like, yeah. well, you've never gone on, like, if have you ever uh, had to lay down on a wire in order to help the other guy get over? And Tony says, I would simply cut the wire. And he was like, oh, always a snappy remark, right? But that's that's or Wilson Fisk. He's like, I would, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's Wilson Fisk, right? I think he thinks he's, too, he's smart enough to not have to be in that position. And when his... Well, and when he's his back is really against the wall, the reason why he he is ultimately undone is because he thinks he has outsmarted everyone enough that he would never be in that spot. And then he just ultimately his plans fall away, and he's and then he's you know staring at that wall. But he thought he was too smart to ever have to worry about putting his life on the line. And I think and Matt ha- doesn't have that hubris. He he's just willing to. He almost wants to put his body on the line because he <laughs> clearly has some self-hatred and guilt and shame issues going on. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> for that. Um, but it's such a Catholic thing to do too. It's just like, all yeah. right, uh-huh. just all the guilt and shame. All right. It's all right. I gotta die for it. And it's just like, <laughs> yep. okay. I mean, it's, that's kind of the deal with Catholicism, right? Yeah. Like, oh, the, the main guy, that's what he did. <laughs> so. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it is, it is very much, much like that. And, that's and, and there's so many and then the other thing that's beautiful about the show is and I use the word beautiful is because the characters are so rich and they give them so much more time where it's like we're seeing used to Marvel shows being like six to eight episodes now and there's like a lot happening and we get good character development in some of these shows but like this they just let things simmer and like like they could they, they let them cook as the kids would say and then like but like for example Foggy and and Karen man they really let those characters just Foggy could literally just be the quippy one-line machine. He could be happy, essentially. He's mm-hmm. just the lackey, you know, didn't right. make that to rhyme. But, like, he's not. He's such a rich character that he's, you well, love. He's the closest to Bill Bodkin that we've ever had on screen, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, he's, he's a little smoother than I am. But, uh, but, like, that episode with Matt where they're arguing in the apartment, like just basically crying, talking about how much they love each other. And now how foggy just hates him kind of for what he's doing to himself. It's like, and for what he did to him all those years, lying to him like that, making a fool out of him in like from his perspective. And it's just such a wonderful thing because Foggy could just be just a literally just a caricature and they let him become this really important emotional uh, linchpin in Matt's life. And I love the fact they allow this to happen. Whereas maybe if this show was current, like six episodes, Foggy just would have been like the jokey guy. And then Karen, (laughs) the worst character arc of fucking anyone ever. It's like (laughs) she went from I'm going to go meet my co-worker for a drink into I shot a guy and killed him. Um, You know, that that's an emotional journey. And it's yeah. again, it she it it feels real. It feels like I, as as it's a credit extraordinary to, as it is, but it, she yeah, feels it's like a credit a, to Deborah Ann Wall, who I think sometimes has gotten a little bit of criticism in her performance in this role relative to some of the other people. And I think you know, watching it back, really I think she does a great job. It's a wild character, honestly, as you like, peel <laughs> back is. the layers of that. <laughs> and I think she does her absolute best to really make you make her emotionally accessible and grounded in some sort of realism, even if. Uh, some crazy shit goes down <laughs> to put it mildly it's almost it's almost a little too much <laughs> like but i will 
I will say again, we're this we're the Hein Heimdall hindsight corner, right? And I definitely watched the first season when it came out over a single weekend and was found myself feeling very impatient around the Karen and Foggy stuff, feeling like this is the B storyline and I want to get back to Matt and back to uh, to Wilson Fisk and, and I want to find yeah. out what the underworld is going on and like this just feels like a diversion to like waste time and I was very annoyed by it and I definitely didn't appreciate the characters as well as a result. And my experience this time around is the exact opposite. I think I it certainly helps. Plot. Yeah, it certainly helps to be a little older, a little wiser. It helps to watch it over two weeks instead of uh, two days. Um, <laughs> but I definitely, uh, I definitely really liked them, and I thought that they absolutely carried their corner of their show, oh. and and everything that they were doing really helped enhance and deepen the sort of the conspiracy of Wilson Fish, the stakes, setting the stakes, it's so important, making it be grounded in real world people being hurt by by Wilson, which is something that, you know, you just don't get a lot in modern day superhero oh. stuff. It's all about the big, you know, battles and and the super powered people. And, and this show really takes the time through Foggy and Karen interacting with the community that's being hurt by the corruption and the, and the poor and the like evil dealings. And in a way we're like, Certainly in the real life and in, in, in the real world, we don't necessarily have exactly a Wilson Fisk, although some, some people might argue uh, mm. we did and he was at the White House for a while. But less said about that, the better. <laughs> I um, think Wilson Fisk was a little more altruistic, altruistic than that person. But Yeah, and also maybe had uh, thought through his plans a little bit more. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, what I will say is that... like every the, socially distanced podcast from 2020 to hear my thoughts on that. So. <laughs> But the point is that the problems that this show is highlighting is just like a slightly heightened version of real things that real people have to deal with, with these craven developers that are trying to push people out of their homes and not like do required maintenance as a result and all that kind of stuff. Like that's real. That's stuff that happens in cities every day. And, and but, it's really but it is tied not- into Marvel because it's like it is it's the post Avengers fallout, right? Uh, like yes, that's why Hell's yeah. Kitchen is. Yeah, but you're right. It is they, the toxicity of city politics and people trying to do like in the name of good do stuff mm-hmm. right and it's like well are you really trying to do good or are you just trying to get money right the kind well, of that was his dad. gentrification yeah and like i mean gentrification now seven years on is such a active crisis in our country in the sense of the way that it is you know, forced us into this housing crisis and this uh, homelessness crisis and all of these other issues that are have come along. And this show, you know, not that it was on the, uh, the the forefront of it. This was a problem in 2015. Obviously, if it was making it into a Marvel show, but I feel like it adds a level of you know urgency and realism to see where we are seven years later, and it's still it's an even worse problem than it was then. And uh, and you know, maybe we need. Yeah. That it, it lends credence to the idea of like maybe we do need a lunatic punching people in the street in a mask just to get stuff done. Like there's a desperation to the world now that I feel like makes it make more sense than maybe in the moment back in 2015. You know, it, it, you, you keep mentioning 2015 because I obviously this when the show came out, but it never feels like 2015. Like when we watched Iron Man a year ago, it <laughs> felt like a, a relic at times. Like you're just seeing some of this. The MySpace, or you see the phones, or whatever. This uh-huh. just feels like very now. It feels almost timeless. It just feels very evergreen, like New York and you know, you know, land, you know, city developers and, and the crime, fighting street level crime and stuff like this, and drugs and mobs and all this stuff. It's a timeless story, and well, they and do honestly, a great job of making it very timeless. 
it's more reflective of what the culture around New York City is now than it was in 2015, because now, not to get too political, but there has been this whole thing of, like, the media overinflating violent crime in the city in order to generate publicity, negative publicity that can get people in to help these developers make more luxury condos. Like, that's a legitimate thing that's going on in New York City that wasn't necessarily going on in 2015, but was happening in the world of, of... Marvel's Hell Kitchen back then. So, yeah, it, it definitely, it's it has a timeless quality. I think it also helps, like, it's shot on film. It has yes. a really great aesthetic. It has a very distinct aesthetic. It really feels textured and lived in and grounded and, and just, and cinematic in a way that I think ages much better than, you know, if it was digital photography with a lot of, you know, CGI'd out wall, like, landscapes and stuff like that. Like, you're, ne- you're never on a green screen. You're never... Uh, in a warehouse where it's supposed to be, you know, Titan, <laughs> you know, like, and right, we love right. those movies, obviously, but there is a type of tactile quality that I think it For that sure. this story really benefits from. And also, before we move on, I just really want to say that I do love the Ben Ura character, Vondi Curtis Hall, who's been a character actor in oh 10,000 so, so things. And he is great in this. I love everything about him. He is like a more of a minor character compared to everyone else. But I mean, like his investigatory stuff is it's just like that's the type of journalism stuff I see in movies. I just drool over. I just love stuff, you know, like watching like Spotlight and other movies like that. Which, yeah. I mean, that subject matter is so fucking depressing. But I mean, it's like I just love the journalistic process and just seeing him in that and adding that to Daredevil. One makes perfect sense because New York is such like, you know, it's like you always think I got a newspaper town, you know, um, which is I'm probably the only person who's ever said that. But whatever. It's what I believe. I think Stan Lee has said that uh, more than <laughs> <Probably>. once. <laughs> and uh, but the most shocking thing, because I remember Ben was such a huge part of Daredevil, is when Fisk fucking kills him. And yes. Like, How did he, that play for you? Because did you didn't know that was coming? No, <laughs> because because <laughs> I've heard, I know the Ben York character. I have Daredevil comics. I literally just picked up all my. He's comics a big character in Daredevil and in Spider Man too. I don't remember him in Spider Man to be honest, but I definitely knew him in Daredevil. And when Fisk is like, well, he was like, you know, I've been threatened before. He's like, no, 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 I'm not threatening you. I'm gonna kill you because you brought my mom into this. And first off, that adds a whole other level to Kingpin about you brought my mom into this, and it's just like lets out that beast-like rage that he had for his father, played by an alumni from The Wire, Dominic Lombardozzi. Lombardozzi. Perfect in that role. <laughs> yeah, oh, so great. Also in Boardwalk Empire, but he. Um, and he killed him. I was just like, holy shit, he killed? Like, it was stunning that that, I was shocked that that happened. And it's a perfect thing because it's just like, up until that point, Fisk, bad guy. But he's still kidding a little bit beyond his side. But when he does that, that's the, that's, that's just, it's just shocking. But I had to stop when they got to the funeral. Karen's like, I'm the reason your, your husband's dead. I'm like, I'll come back to this episode later, Karen. You just can't. I'm like, like I feel like Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. I'm like, Karen. I'm like, stop. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I mean, was Foggier Matt just being like, dude, stop. But, like, she was the reason that he died. <laughs> Sometimes you She tricked him say, into seeing then. He would not have gone if he had tricked him. I get it, but you don't always need to say the things you need to, that that happen, you know, Karen? Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Well, his wife had dementia. She's not going to remember that she said that to him anyway. <laughs> uh, she seemed pretty lucid at that, at that moment. That is also uh, a heartbreaking storyline. That's not the only shocking thing that happened, though. I mean, we also have, of course, uh, Karen killing Wesley. Uh, what did you think about yeah. that? 
Um, like, what the fuck, Karen? <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, every time she does something, I'm like, oh, God, Karen, why? Just why? He wasn't. But, I mean, he was like Harry Hubris, Wesley. Yeah. That was, and he, he was going to kill her if he, she didn't I go along think, with it. I don't think he was. I think he was all talk, and, uh, all talk, no walk. He was just, he just thought he could do what Wilson did and he could just be this imposing figure and he never and the the guy who thinks everything through he didn't think it through and I knew he was gonna die because as soon as he's like give me your gun and give me this I'm like oh you're dead dude yeah like <laughs> you you should not be doing this and he the way he did it he's like oh do you think I'd bring a loaded gun I'm like you know it's loaded dude like yeah. you shouldn't even the guy who doesn't like risk took all the risks and he That's he true. was foisted upon but his own because he he underestimated karen and i like i love that sequence because it really it suggests a whole world that we don't know yet about miss karen page that there is way more going on than we thought there was <laughs> because very clear that that was not the first time she killed somebody <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's a jump. I was just like, I just thought. No, I just, she says as much. She says, "You don't think I'll do this? You act like this is my for the first time." Oh, and, I thought she was. And it seems like a bluff, but then she actually kills him and is like, and knows exactly how to handle oh, it from that point on. Yeah, so, because she did say like, you know, she came from a different area and doesn't is all yeah. like kind of quiet about it. But I just mm-hmm. thought it was like I could see why she did it because she was so driven by what he was saying. She's like, I'm going to kill everyone in your life. She has no one in her life except for Matt and foggy. And, and then it's just like, well, then we'll find everyone, you know, so she might still have parents in wherever she's from Sheboygan, Wisconsin or something. I don't know. And, and to go out there and just kill them. Yeah. That I think, stuff will drive anyone. That's true. But I think that she has more of a, more of a past than so we she's were initially led to believe. No, she's not elected. Yeah, I know she's not. They do. They do reference her. I know that. They do, and they that do. may that may come up sometime in the future. I mean, uh, I know it. <laughs> okay. The Wikipedia cast list doesn't separate by seasons, Alex. Uh, also, I've been told, you know, the show is seven years old. Uh, no, eight years old at this point. Uh, I have been told a few characters show up. You know, like sure. Now, seasons. speaking of characters that show up, we would be remiss if we don't briefly at least mention. Our man Scott Glenn is stick, totally owning the shit out of every scene he's in. Now, I so, do feel like his storyline in this season, I'm very curious what you think about it, because it's all kind of just teasing for some sort of thing that's clearly they're building up for the future at this point. Yeah. How did that play for you? Because the story between Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock, and, and Wilson Fisk, and the conspiracy around the corruption, all of that stuff, and it's so well played, and then there's this like injection of kind of like future casting ninjas that feels mm-hmm. really kind of out of place even though if you know daredevil you know that's like part of the deal yeah, so i'm curious how that played for you well the hand's going to come in probably at this point because that's something you know as an owner of a marvel encyclopedia that i read through uh for my daughter i uh no but i have like i said i've read daredevil before so i always know there's ninjas ninjas are always around uh so i figured i'll make and especially if you're introducing electra like that world is going to come up so i'm just like okay and, it's, and then even if you don't know that like he does end up talking to someone mysteriously. So you're like, okay, something's going to happen here. They kill that kid and it's very off screen, obviously. Uh-huh. It's never really said why they have to do it. So it's like, yeah, this is bigger things are to come. And right. so you find uh, out that like Wilson Fisk has secured like an entire like city block that no one is going to come in and out of. 
uh, and gives it to the Yakuza to see what's what. And that is very foreboding about what's to come, because I don't think that was just because they wanted to get that one kid into the city. So that's definitely laying a groundwork for future seasons. But Stick is like Scott Glenn, first off. What a great underrated grumpy craggly old man that tommy lee jones wishes he was like oh, he was like he wishes he was that grumpy and and, and Ugh, salty scott glenn is a fucking genius fucking... this role, man no he's great in everything he's great he's, in everything. no this type of role i mean oh yeah yeah but i mean i saw this some of the stuff he did in uh the i mean Little he's Lop excellent Show. in the leftovers which That's is it. which was airing at around this exact same, same time. time yeah he, he's I a similar this. character and he's so good in that as well yeah, he, he's done uh, in other show like Hunt for October. He's done other yeah, stuff. Yeah, oh, like he's been a, he's been a character Great actor stuff. for years. Yeah, but I I feel like I also like in his Wikipedia entry they don't say how old he is, so I'm assuming he's 300 easily. Sure, he's I think a, it's he is, fair. I think I mean you look at him, he looks 300, but he's he just keeps going. But I, I mean, love I'm, in the flashback where like the way to make him earl, young, seem younger is he's got like spikier hair and he's got like a cool cool sunglasses. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. But he's he's great. He's so believable too. He's so believable in that role. And um, I just like I knew like we weren't gonna get a lot of him probably, but he was perfect in that role. Didn't feel like I feel like you could make the argument that that kind of halts the show just a little bit because of the kind of sidetrack stuff. But I felt it flowed perfectly because if you've got 13 episodes, you definitely can sidetrack, especially if you're foreshadowing for the next season. And Scott Glenn, man, if you're going to ever get a pissed off old teacher, it's going to be Scott Glenn, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, I don't think I loved that corner of the show, except for the fact that Scott Glenn really, I think, saved it. Because it was like, he's so charismatic and so fun. Yeah. But I was willing to go along with it. But, like, Mysterious Ninjas is not necessarily I, in my I, bag, especially when you're telling such a grounded, realistic story. But but I'll also say, uh, the other time that storyline really cropped up is when uh, Matt fights Nobu. And ooh, I think we're going to get into that a little bit later, so I won't really yeah. spill the beans on that. But So those are two moments where that storyline really worked for me. I just So I guess they talked me into liking it. <laughs> but it's more about it. Like The whole thing with him really is it's just the two parts that work. The other stuff is like, it's there, like the assassination, the kid, all that shit. It's yeah. the flashback to Matt as a kid and learning his training. And then that fight great. between them. Yeah, the fight between the two of them. Scott Glenn really, with a kid is just like, it's just so genius. Good. Like, so great. And um, but it's the fight in Matt's apartment, because that's, again, just further fuels the question of Matt and his morality and the line crossing. And that just really is an important part of it. And I, I loved Charlie Cox's uh, like just performance in that part was just so good because you just he's just so like, what what am I supposed to do? You know, and and <laughs> yeah. he just nails that part of it. Also, shout out to Wei Ching Ho, who plays Madame Gao. I think oh. she is. It's so like good. an iconic character, a, a very cliched character, but still a character that I think she really makes saying like you want to see more of her every time she comes on screen. When you finally when the cast of characters whittles down to just her and Fisk and she pieces out to China, uh, just great, great scene between her and, and Vincent D'Onofrio. And uh, I they just were dynamite together. they were they were dynamite together. They, they like I think outside of Vanessa. I mean, maybe even more than Vanessa. He had such an incredible chemistry with that actress. Like, yeah. they were just phenomenal. Like, he, they, like the kind of 
the power struggle between like the respect, but also the jockeying of power within every word and every action and how they were being duplicitous towards each other. Like she knew English, he knew Chinese, like all mm-hmm. this stuff. It was, it's so well done. It's really, yeah. really meticulously done and they don't need to do that. But I love that they did it because it adds so much dimension to Fisk. And I really hope, I, I don't know if you're going to spoil it or not, but like in, future season she comes back as some sort of big bad because she's such an interesting character and so like could be like the straw that stirs the drink for other things happening i would love to see that yeah i won't spoil anything in that respect but i will just point your attention to the fact that at one point he references her going back home to to china and she uh makes it clear that she is not from there so in a very mysterious sort of way they ask this well then where is she from mm. and uh, you'll find out eventually not wonder gore i'm gonna say wonder gore because why not <laughs> i mean i'm not, okay i won't i won't i i want to say something but i won't because that would be unfair um so instead we're just gonna so right. right on over to uh <laughs> to our first uh kind of quick hit segment uh of the episode uh, which is, of course, titled Karen Page's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Day Award, where we ponder who had the worst day this season. <laughs> now, Karen. I mean, it's like, well, it's the Scarlet Witch crown. I mean, we had to give it to Scarlet Witch. I mean, it's like, it's got to be Karen. She had several days that could win her the award. So, which do you think would be the one? I mean, for what I wrote down, like, obviously, her first day on the show, rough day. You know, she wakes, she, she goes to, as you pointed out she goes to uh to to drinks with her married uh, colleague uh wakes up unconscious wakes up in her apartment with no idea how uh and sh- he's dead and then uh she's arrested and then immediately uh the guard tries to murder her <laughs> and that's her day so that's a rough one also the day that she's kidnapped where she has to murder wesley that's a particularly rough day um but i'm curious if you have any uh if you think that one of those or if you have even other um I wanna... genders <sighs> I'm going to go to the day Ben dies and his funeral, because at that point, it's the culmination of everything, because Matt and Foggy have essentially just fallen out. Her one, like, um, very almost paternalistic character in her current life has now died, and it's it's her fault, you know? Yeah. Um, She killed Unambiguously her fault. Unambiguously her fault. No, I know. But she also should have been like, shut the fuck up. Don't say it to the... (laughs) to the lady right there in front of everything just to make yourself feel better um she um you know i mean there's someone and then she's had everything else happen so up to that point i mean it's like she's an island on herself she doesn't have ben she doesn't have foggy she doesn't have matt she doesn't have her old life and she's killed somebody which i know you think she's a murderous person who's probably done this before and there's a trail of bodies from here to milwaukee because Karen's awful, because we know you don't like blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. No, I'm kidding. I have no idea. But it's, I love Karen, but I do I'm, think that she has murdered many people. Jesus <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I think at that point, that is her worst day. That is her lowest day. She does not get any lower to that this season, I don't think. Um, that's fair. Uh, that's I think another contender for the award would probably go to Ben Urick um, for the day that he was murdered Dead. <laughs> where he like he is fired from his job um, and his wife is not in good health and he can't really take care of her now that she's now that he's been fired and then uh, he gets murdered very violently by uh, Wilson Fisk but honestly I'm going to shock you um, my winner for this award is actually not Karen Page if it was a it was like most 
days that were no good, horrible, very bad, it would definitely be Karen. But I think I feel that like I know which one you're gonna pick. I feel like that Murdoch had a worse day this season. Oh, it's not who I thought you were gonna pick. I thought you were gonna because pick young. I thought you were gonna pick young Wilson Fisk. No, I mean, I guess that was a pretty that you know it was not I a mean, great you day. Saw his dad off. But like his dad was a dick, so he there is like dick. an upside to that, you know. Uh, you got to be, Beat you know, and he he learned some valuable lessons that day that really helped him through the rest of his life. Clearly, so you know, uh, one could argue that was the best day that he's had. <laughs> Who's to say? But my worst day is is a day of Matt Murdock's because in 24 hours, Matt uh, sees an innocent client of his is killed just to trick him into showing up at a warehouse to then be sliced up by a ninja, fail to beat Fisk. Then have a massive fallout with Foggy, um, his best friend. All of that happens in 24 hours. Uh, that's a pretty rough day. And also, does it? It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget when you're watching the next episode when like Foggy and and Matt are fighting and having this big kind of like reckoning that he had just been literally sliced to shreds by a ninja and like crawled into his apartment within an inch of his life. So he had already had a really rough day and then that happened. So I feel like that's got to be it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good choice. I mean, but I got to give it to the lady who brought us here. The titular, the titular Karen. Um, Okay, (laughs) next next up is our hallway fight. Uh, hallway fight hall of fame award uh where we discuss our favorite action moments now this television show is basically if you know one thing about this show you know that there is an epic single take hallway fight that kind of like redefined action movie culture for about a decade um and that could definitely qualify as the winner but there's a lot of great action sequences in this show and i wanted to take it a little bit of time to honor that because that's not something that we typically highlight on this show we talk a lot no. about characters and feelings and we cry and we you yeah, know like, we do. but but this this show a lot of brutal bloody action and i feel like we'd be remiss not to to bring it up so what do you think what are some highlights on the action scene uh i think you definitely have to go with um well, let me I mean, ask you first, the one, yeah. did the hallway fight live up to your expectations? Because that there's no way that uh, that hadn't been fixed for you. Uh, I feel like the uh, like I had been shown a different one, a uh, different okay. fight scene. I think maybe from season two, there's a big fight in that one. That... There's it. Well, there's also a big hallway fight in the Defenders. And maybe you saw that. No, it was just. Oh, no, no, no. I know that one. But there was another one with him. I thought uh, maybe I saw it differently. I was on YouTube or something like that. But it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had heard about it. So but this was it wasn't explained to me that way the way the fight this hallway scene so unraveling i'm just like oh my <laughs> this is one of the craziest <laughs> things i've ever seen in my life um, it's a real that ex- escalated quickly kind of yeah. moment <laughs> oh but also very slowly at times which is what i appreciated <laughs> i think the first time we see him as um daredevil proper fighting fisk is a great action sequence i've mentioned this one before his fight with uh stick um yeah. is a, a tremendous action scene because that is like it's extremely well choreographed and it's very emotionally loaded. So you're really getting it on every level. I also it a non Daredevil involved one is um, the bombings because you ne- you don't see that coming. The bombings that just happen when they take out the Russians. You're just like oh yeah. my god, oh my god. <laughs> you're like holy shit, they just took out the Russians. Uh, in fact, even like if you I remember those- you told while you were watching the show, you text me and you were like, yeah, I'm like halfway through this episode and I turned it off. I'll watch it again. Like I was like, no, you can't be halfway through that episode. No, I know. So it just rolled on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's so many 
just great fight sequences. I mean, the Nobu scene is oh, was so brutal to get through. But I think that's my, my winner. The, no, yeah. the Nobu fight with Matt, that is my winner. And that's great, even though they like they know that it's great. And so they literally like piece it out over the course of the entire fucking episode. No, and that should have been so annoying. Like it should have no. been annoying. But it were it's such a great fight that you don't care. You're just like every time you go to that, you're like, and then when it catches up and you circle back around, and then the ending when they just he literally lights them on fire. It's insane. It's insane. It's so great. But it's gonna be the hallway fight for me, just because it's just like that's the one that set because it, it's again it's the one we named it after but it's like that sets the tone for what daredevil is like this is the amount of batshit craziness and violence and hard-hitting action you're gonna get and this show's gonna get creative and fun and i'm like that's this that's that set the tone for me i think it's fair it's it would be my number two choice but because it, it is iconic it's completely iconic but number two is the is the um daredevil proper scene with fisk nice okay next we're gonna move on uh because bill it's time to go on a coffee run and that means it's time for us to discuss which <laughs> character you were crushing on the hardest this season uh, so glad we're objectifying characters in this series this season of the podcast <laughs> i mean we gotta throw in a little bit of fun because this is a really you know and would we truly be honoring the catholic guilt of it all if not for engaging in our objectification and then feeling guilty about it afterwards I guess if I had to, even though it's against type for me, Alex, and that would mm. be that'd be Karen. Uh, listen, uh-huh. she is, uh, you know, listen, I, I appreciate blonde. Yeah. I mean, and not usually uh, my type, but I enjoy a, a, a woman in the legal profession. Um, sure. Because I in that sense, lawyer. it's very on brand for you. <laughs> it is. But, uh, you know, she's just, you know, besides aesthetically, very, a very attractive woman. It's just like I, I, I love the Karen character. She's 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 nuts, but she's also fiercely loyal to mm-hmm. these two dudes who she barely knows. But she she goes to bat for them. And she, she is, sees something in them and yeah. she, and they give her the kind of support that she has seemingly yeah. not had, at least in a long time, if not ever. And I, and she values that right away. And she is loyal to that. And I think that that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. And, and she's just uh, she's just a really and she's a really for a character goes through so much shit. She's a very strong character and she can she can drink like a sailor. So um, she, she, yeah. sure can. <laughs> she sure can. But if we're talking about like not like objectifying a character like that, like who is one of our favorite characters? I'd say that's out of Matt it would be Foggy would be one of my favorite characters in this show. One, because he's pretty much like me, but it's just like, it's just, he's such, I, like, he's such a great character and he's like generally funny, generally a great emotional touchstone uh, in the series and does a lot, you know, really drives home the one part of Matt where it's just like the law do things the right way. And that one, that college episode, like, that was great. That's a cool where they seemingly were in college uh, in 1995 and 100%. also 2008 at the same time. Like the the timeline of that really didn't add up to me. But <laughs> I would say you could get away with 99. I, but like literally, like they just graduated from law school. They they had to have been like as old as I was at the time, which would mean that they were like in school in like 2008 to mm-hmm. 2012. And it seems like they're in law school actually, or undergrad. It's a little bit nebulous what's going on there. I feel like but, they uh, both had but ext- they, extended stays in college. They were in college for definitely, a solid decade. Foggy, a hundred percent, was that guy. And you love him, but you're like yeah. Christ, man. You've been here for nine years. My mom wanted me to be a butcher. <laughs> One of the that, great running jokes. 
feels like a Bill Bodkin story, honestly. It feels like something you would tell people at a bar. <laughs> I mean, my, pop, my dad wanted me working computers, but I mean, I decided I don't want to make money. I'll go, I'll go run a pop culture site for 14 years. Well, um, you're honoring that by working on computers. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but Alex, what about you? Yeah, Coffee Run, who am I crushing on? There's only one answer on this show, and it's obviously Stay. Matt Murdock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, there's a reason why he has, like, three girlfriends in this one season of television. Uh, it's really notable. I, well, I mean, you know, there's Claire, and there's Claire. and there's Karen, and, and then um, probably multiple other people who he runs across in a given day. <laughs> He's an incredibly charming really. character. I don't know if I want him in i know like this you know people have already seen it be like bill there's things that happen i'm just like i'd rather see karen and foggy end up together it's, well it they feels seem really better. shitty of him to be with karen mm, given the it? fact that yeah but it also feels like something that matt would do let's be real come on he's not, and, and, and foggy has also got that uh, other girlfriend sure yeah yeah who from from the law firm and they and they have a nice rapport together that that was honestly a fun character because sure. you really think she's going to be one thing and then and then they're actually like no she's also gets to be interesting and cool and have layers to her and like oh wow moral center yeah yeah <laughs> so but yeah it's obviously charlie cox's matt murdoch is incredibly sexy and charming and he's got that whole wounded soul thing that like really and he's got those eyes and it's just and he's shirtless a lot <laughs> yeah, and you know even work. when he's sliced up he still looks pretty good <laughs> so you described him in a certain way what was the term you used for him do you know, remember i don't know no you i don't remember him, you called him a fuck boy in a channel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that he certainly is <laughs> you're just like oh you know he's a fuck boy and i'm like oh, i better go I better go look up what that means. <laughs> yeah, well, if no you idea. did, you would know he is. <laughs> I, and I agree, he is. And also, and it's someone nice... we don't talk about at all. We haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> no, well, you might be curious why we haven't brought her up, and that is well. because our last segment of the episode, as it will be for every episode, is uh, our midnight check-in, where we answer the question, what's Claire up to this month? Because for people who don't know, Claire appears in every one of these seasons that we're going to be talking about um, in various capacities. Uh, this, and Claire, of course, played by the um, incredible Rosaria Dawson, who just, yeah. you know, many people are excited to see her as Ahsoka, uh, as I am. But oh, yeah. before she was doing that, she was uh, dabbling into the nerd scene here, um, being basically like their version of Samuel Jackson, <laughs> which I love. Not what you would have expected, but I think she is fantastic. I was honestly surprised by how much she was in the first half of the show, yeah. um, based on I my memory. <laughs> Did you know that she was going to be coming? Did you know what? Yeah, the so I knew. Character? So I knew that Rosario Dawson. Who? Here's a fun side story for you. I went to a wrestling event um, in Newark, New Jersey, and she used to be a host on the show called The Go Big Show with this guy Cody Rhodes. It was an AEW at the time. She actually jumped the guardrail and fought a guy. A guy. This guy, Malachi Black, was like a trained kickboxer. She jumped on his back and started beating him up. And it was the, like part of the show? Yeah, it was like a part of an angle. And the crowd went bananas for her. Like, she loved every second of it. You could tell. It was oh, yeah. cool. It I was like, and no one believed, no one, everyone's like, is that Rosario Dawson? Did she just jump the guardrail and punch that guy <laughs> in the face? It was fantastic. Worlds collide. But anyway, um, I knew she was in this, and I knew she was in at least Luke Cage and The Defenders. I did not know uh, about Jessica Jones. I didn't know she was the connective tissue between everything, but I knew she appeared in multiple shows, because it all yeah. takes place in roughly the same area. And essentially, she's playing a character inspired by the comics character, the Night Nurse, 
uh, Claire Temple is one of the characters in the comic books that have taken on that mantle. Basically, the idea is like she is a, a nurse uh, in New York City who works late and like who works overnights and has a penchant for helping sew up uh, superpowered um, heroes. And uh, that's definitely what she does here um, while also trying to fend off an incredibly um, undeniable attraction to one Matt Murdock, which who could blame her? Not me, certainly. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised because I remember her kind of having a small part in, in the first season of Daredevil. And I guess the reason why is because when you see the season as a whole, she really, she just like checks out for almost the whole second half, yeah. which, you know, fair enough. Um, but I forgot how much she was in it in the beginning. And she really is like the co-lead of the show for the first half of the season, which is great. Uh, how do you feel about the choice to limit her, like, to just that capacity? Like, did you feel like uh, her leaving when she did felt motivated by the character? Yes, I think it did, because we obviously get this whole thing in the beginning where she is definitely, like, has feelings for Matt, and Matt definitely has feelings for her. But she has her own moral code of just like, hey, you're going, you're, again, enforcing, you know, re, you know, banging the drum on, you're going to cross, you're crossing a line. And it's going to get worse. And he's like, well, guess what? I'm not going to change. And I yeah. would be in love with you, but I can't because I ha- I'm on this death drive suicide run of being Daredevil. I mean, in the beginning, that's what it was. And so it makes all the sense that she would check out because what are we? it would be a, a very annoying kind of and distracting storyline if we keep recycling the same thing. This, the storyline is never good. Yeah, lesser shows, especially in this era of the anti-hero, the love interest often played that role of like, yeah, I love fine. you and I respect what you're doing, but you're going too far. Please stop. You're going to get hurt. Oh, no, I'm kidnapped. Like, it's a very common kind of trope yeah, in these I stories. Know. And I kind of love that this show is like, no, she's actually like she has a good head on her shoulders and she got into yeah. this and she knew what she was doing when she got into this. And now she realizes she should get out of this. And she does. You know, he kind of breaks up with her, but it feels more like it's her choice than his choice, in yes. my opinion. And you used the correct word there when you said lesser shows, because yeah. they, they it, it could have been very easy, but it would have been so frustrating. We it just would have been a broken record at that point. And if she's going to be this connective tissue character, you can't just hire one person. She's going to be amongst everybody. So it, make, it makes more sense that way. And I think that's when they allow, because it just think of different chapters of Matt. It's just like, it's her, it's Stick, it's Foggy, and then Karen, and then ultimately, and even the priest, if you want to throw him in there, they all have these, say, you know, thoughts on his moral compass. And then mm-hmm. eventually he has to make his own decision based off on all the information and opinions given to him and also his own moral code. And I think that works better that she's not like constant throughout. Yeah. Because what else I are you going to do? What story are you going to give her? You know, like Foggy had, and Karen had other stuff to do. Karen had to go kill people like Foggy had to go sleep with his ex-girlfriend. Like, like <laughs> what is what is Claire going to do? She's just so more. Yeah. I mean, you could have had her get integrated into the Foggy and Karen corner of the show. Yeah. You could have had her just recycle those same story yeah. beats over and over again. You know, and I like we said, a lesser show probably would have done that. But I, I agree that this was I mean, I think any show that has less Rosario Dawson is lesser for it. Sure. But I do think that this honored the character really well and the autonomy that she presented throughout. And I really liked the choices that they ended up making. And I will say my favorite yeah. moment of the show is when she is kidnapped, um, which could have been very annoying, That's really right? Good. That's really good, yeah. <laughs> but, but they're like literally number one, they're like beating her up to get her to talk, which is wild. You don't usually, you don't see that on TV, like having a woman in peril being literally beaten up by a man. Like that's, that's pushing the envelope, you know? Um, 
And then the lights go out and she realizes what that means and she just starts laughing because she knows yeah. what's about to happen. That's and it's like, scene. oh my, she is just, so um, I mean, the whole sequence is great, right? Like the action beat of it and the way that the guys are just like perfectly, like they're just perfect dupes about the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like they're always a step behind of what's about to happen. But she just makes that scene sing in the way that she reacts and is just like, because she knows what he's capable of and how fucked they are. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. It's great. It really was. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And that's the only, that's the kind of thing that like, you have to be a confident actor who like knows what you're doing to pull off something like that. Cause she was genuinely like afraid for her life. Oh, for and sure. then that happens. And she has like a fucking menacing laugh that is just so knowing and so perfect. And you're just like, I love this character, you know? Yeah. I, and uh, that's why I'm glad we didn't get enough. We just got a little taste and like stick. Yeah. We're going to run into this character again. Like, oh, yeah. She's going to run into Matt again. And that'll be awesome when she runs into Matt. Because, you know, you can't have ice cream for dessert every day because it gets old after a while. And so now it'll just be like, here's the treat. You have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and if you do go to the hospital, you will run into Claire Temple. <laughs> Listen, she'll take good care of you. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I can't wait to, for you to see more of her. But yeah. Uh, you will be seeing more of her next month when we are here to talk about Jessica Jones season one. Uh, we will be meeting Jessica and her cadre of of uh, supporting cast and her iconic uh, villain, the Purple Man, played by David Tennant. David Tennant, I knew that. Which yeah, is very just excited. An an extraordinary villain performance. They really set the bar high with Wilson Fisk, Vincent D'Onofrio in this role. And I mean, I'm I'm not going to say whether they clear it or not because that's for next next it's, month. But it's Tenant, man. It's it's he's going to be great. He's he's just great. I love David Tennant. So while we're while we're uh, while we're waiting around to find out, um, do you have any final thoughts on the season of Daredevil? I mean, one, it's weird that this podcast didn't go four hours like our previous episodes, but um, it's uh, no, this is such a great like, you know, it's so different from everything we've seen in the uh, the Disney version of the MCU shows. It just feels different. It's a it's like a cooler, grittier vibe. And it's a great introduction to like the street level that we keep talking about. Like we've talked about, it's like, oh, where are we going to go in the future? Because we have the street level stuff. This is man, you've got to this is a perfect introduction to the street level stuff for me, because now I'm like, OK, this is the world we're going to get. Um, it probably it, they in, in Charlie Cox even said in an interview, it's not going to be as gory. Thank God, because this no, show is I mean... violent as shit. Um, the way so that the blood just pours out of people's everyone. mouths and bodies and everything else. I also got a weird vibe in the, the opening credit sequence, and I want to see if you feel the same way. Gives me a real Hannibal vibe, the way they did the opening credit sequence. Thank you, as you're yeah, a Hannibal fan. 100%. So, 100%. Yeah. yeah 100%. It's so awesome. Well, I just, I was like, yes. And it was great because it was, that show was coming out around, roughly around that time, too. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a wonderful show. I, I love this show. I, I would go back to the season again to watch it. It's I'm trying to convince my wife to watch it. I'm just like, it's so like you would love it for the law stuff and all that's it, It's great. It's not like really that good. grounded in realism when it comes to law. No, but no, no, no. But it's like it's there. There's law stuff yeah, and it's, it's like there, you know, you know, it's not a legal drama. No, it's a little bit more of a legal you. drama than it is a medical drama. But like just barely. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying, yeah, I mean, it's not She-Hulk, which is a lawyer no. show. But I mean, it's a very like, accurate lawyer show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's um, but it was so great. I, I'm so happy we started off the year, our second season 
with a show of this caliber. I'm really hoping Jessica Jones really follows. I've heard a lot of positive things about the first season of Jessica Jones. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm also happy we're not doing Iron Fist. <laughs> so I like the seasons of Iron yeah. Fist. But I'm really, I'm really excited to start Jessica Jones. Uh, if, if The Last of Us was not starting tonight, I'd be watching Jessica Jones. Uh, well, I'm very excited for you to watch it. And I will say my final thought is just that I... Uh, I recently switched over to the ad-supported tier of Disney Plus, and watching this show with ad-supported uh, with ads from Disney Plus is quite the experience um, because they don't really have a lot of adult-centric uh, ads on Disney Plus yet. So I certainly did watch a scene where Matt Murdock was brutally torturing a man in order to get information out of him that was then interrupted by a commercial where I learned that girls learn empathy from playing with dolls. <laughs> so it was a real wild tone shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because I was wondering what ads they would have. And I'm like, is it just like Disney World commercials or something like that? Or just like the stuff you would see on the Disney Channel? Because that would be wild. <laughs> And it it's, is. Uh, yeah, it was wild. It was a wild juxtaposition. Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> but I'm sure we won't run into anything like that when it comes to Jessica Jones next week. <laughs> so, oh, no. Oh, I'm sure very light and fun show, as we all know. Um, but oh, what's that? Uh, Jessica? Jessica? Yeah, that's uh, I gotta go. Uh, David Tennant is at my door trying to find Jessica Jones. I mean, so. just like David Tennant's at my door. I'm like, just go have fun. Just you guys have a, <laughs> have a hang. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for next. I'm excited for next week. And then, uh, you know, after uh, when are we doing our big Marvel recap? Is that after we do the Defenders verse? It is. So that's not coming until July when right now we expect Echo to be a part of that, but maybe not. And if not, we'll be okay because I'm still really glad with the choice of of starting out with this Defenders verse content because we will, like you said, Echo's coming. Daredevil uh, Born Again is coming next year. And uh, I think this is essential content and it is the most notable thing to come out of Marvel television. Um, everything else is informed by this in both contrasting ways and direct ways. And so I think it's it's essential for people looking to expand their purview beyond just the strict MCU. So I'm really glad that we did this. Thank you again uh, to our guest, Rhiannon, for coming on yeah. and talking us you can follow her podcast uh by subscribing to marvel news desk where you get podcasts you can also go to marvelnewsdesk.com to, to keep up with her um as for me you can follow me um i'm not super active on twitter these days but i do uh post all of the links to the content that i'm participating in over there uh at media thinkings uh you can also follow my film logs over on uh, letterbox at media thinkings i watched 45 movies in three weeks uh, at the end of the year. So you can definitely check out what I thought about all of those things. Um, you can follow my film podcast at Cinema Joe's. We just put out our uh, year in review episode. That was a lot of fun. I did a, a ranking of my top 10 cinematic villains of the year uh, on that show. So you could find out um, where our Marvel villains ranked. And I will spoil to say uh, Marvel villain did not come in at number one. So you'll have to find out who did by checking that out. Um, and uh, yeah, as for this podcast, you can subscribe to us at Pop Break Today, our newly rebranded podcast feed for all things pop culture. Bill, where can we find all your stuff? Uh, if you must follow me on Twitter, which right now is a lot of celebrating about the, well, as of this recording on January 15th, uh, celebrating the New York Giants uh, playoff victories, as well as weird stuff about pro wrestling. But I do talk a lot about 
thepopbreak.com on my Twitter account at BodkinWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. I'm the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. He's celebrating year 14 this year, which is pretty wild. So go to thepopbreak.com every single day, film, television, music, pro wrestling, anime, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, at thepopbreak on Instagram, at thepopbreak on Twitter. Check out all my other podcasts, Socially Distanced. Find that on all your favorite streaming platforms. Drops every single Friday. We just did the Cornetto Trilogy rewatch, and we're doing The Last of Us, so you go check all that stuff out. I also have a new series on Pop Break today called Anchored in Asbury. It's a monthly music interview series with uh, musicians, promoters, people behind the scenes. Uh, could be national, regional, or located in New Jersey. Everything still is anchored somehow, some way into the rich Asbury Park musical scene. I also am with Alex on TV Break, which drops on Pop Break TV every single month. And um, gosh, if I have any more time, I'll, I'll figure out another podcast or two, I guess. But yeah, I have some stuff writing stuff on the popbreak.com I have to do. So yeah, that's where you could find me. On TV Break this month, we talked about our most anticipated te- television shows of uh, 2023. So definitely check that out. And we talked about a Netflix original uh, miniseries that is bad and you shouldn't watch it. Uh, nope. I won't even tell you what it's called. You'll have to listen to find out. Uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, so everybody, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for uh, entering season two with us and going on this Defender's journey. I hope you're watching along with us. But even if you're not, I think this you're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Uh, so stay tuned. Yeah, Alex and I are going to go down to Josie's and drink that uh, that uh, whiskey with the eel in the bottom. It's going to be a lot mm. of fun. I will. I'll tell you how it, uh, how it all goes on Twitter. Don't worry. Hopefully, we get to meet up with Claire in the hospital afterwards. <laughs> I'll be fine. You're you're fine. <laughs> 